Welcome to Bible Study for Regular People. I'm Tana. Let's get started. 1st I'll just acknowledge it's taken me a long time to finish this episode. I've recorded it in pieces and it's just taken me a long time. This is Psalm 145 and it looks like this is the last psalm attributed to David in my Bible here which is put them in order by author. This is Psalm 145, a theme is a time will come when all people will join together in recognizing and worshiping God because God is full of love. He satisfies all who trust in him. I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and they will give examples of your power. They will tell your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, your rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. The Lord will uh, the Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it when you open your hand. You're, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. He grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries for help and rescues them. The Lord protects all those who love him, but he destroys the wicked. I will praise the Lord and may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever and ever. I noted that he switches back and forth between talking to God and talking about God. There's only one comment on Psalm 145. Sometimes our burdens seem more than we can bear and we wonder how we can go on. David stands at this bleak intersection of life's road and meditates on the Lord, the great burden bearer. God is able to lift us up because, and it goes through a list of 11 things here with verse references to this chapter. God is able to lift us up because one, his greatness is beyond discovery. Verse three. Number two, 
He does mighty acts for each generation, verse 4. Number 3, he is magnificent, verse 5. Number 4, he does breathtaking deeds, verse 5 and 6. He is righteous, verse 7. He is kind, merciful, patient, loving, and compassionate, verses 8 and 9. Number seven, he rules over a never-ending kingdom, verse 13. Number eight, he is the source for all our daily deeds, verses 15 to 16. He is righteous and kind in all his dealings, verse 17. Number 10, he remains near to those who call on him, verse 18. And number 11, he hears our cries and rescues us. Verses 19 and 20. If you are bending under a burden and feel that you are about to fall, turn to God for help. He is ready to lift you up and bear your burden. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 12. Commit yourself to instruction. Listen carefully to words of knowledge. Don't fail to discipline your children. They won't die if you spank them. I really feel like that's probably not what the original text said. 14. Physical discipline may well save them from death. Particularly if they're running out in the street. Verse 15. My child, if your heart is wise, my own heart will rejoice. Everything in me will celebrate when you speak what is right. 17. Don't envy sinners, but always continue to fear the Lord. You will be rewarded for this. Your hope will not be disappointed. i got to read that one again. Don't envy sinners, but always continue to fear the Lord. And when I read fear the Lord now, I think of um, like you would fear the sun. It is wonderful, but it can burn you <laughs> if you're not careful because it's powerful. You will be rewarded for this. Your hope will not be disappointed. 19. My child, listen and be wise. Keep your heart on the right course. Do not carouse with drunkards or feast with gluttons, for they are on their own way to poverty. I'm sorry. For they are on their way to poverty. And too much sleep clothes them in rags. 22. Listen to your father who gave you life, and don't despise your mother when she is old. Get the truth and never sell it. Also get wisdom, discipline, and good judgment. The father of godly children has cause for joy. What a pleasure to have children who are wise. So give your father and mother joy. May she who gave you birth be happy. Because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> oh, my son, give me your heart. May your eyes take delight in following my ways. A prostitute is a dangerous trap. A promiscuous woman is as dangerous as falling into a narrow well. And you know what? I feel like there's a lot of verses in here and maybe men make it too easy <laughs> for these promiscuous women that are always getting men into trouble. 28. She hides and waits like a robber, eager to make more men unfaithful. 29. Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? 
It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. <laughs> That's hilarious. Don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down, for in the end it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations and you will say crazy things. You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mast. And you will say, they hit me, but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know it when they beat me up. When will I wake up so I can look for another drink? Man, that is depressing. And um, in my career working with addictions, I know only how true. How true this is. I saw this thing online. I'll never forget. It said, dear alcohol, you were supposed to make me funnier, sexier, and a better dancer. I saw the video. You lied. <laughs> so true. Alright, this first comment here is a good one. I like this one, which is on the first verse I started with. Verse 12, commit yourself to instruction. Listen carefully to words of knowledge. The people most likely to gain knowledge are those who are willing to listen. It is a sign of strength, not weakness, to pay attention to what others have to say. People who are eager to listen continue to learn and grow throughout their lives. If we refuse to become set in our ways, we can always expand the limits of our knowledge. I love that if you interpret that as learning to grow... But when they say, is it a sign, it is a sign of strength, not weakness, to pay attention to what others have to say. I feel like it depends on what is being said, their intent of saying it, and your intent of listening to it. Because there's times where we need to stop paying attention to what people are saying because we're getting... We're in, we can internalize what people may say to us about us or online and it, it, it's not even worth our mental energy, right? People spew things and, and throw daggers at people and it has nothing to do with them. Right, they're spewing stuff because of baggage they're carrying or hurt they're feeling or their insecurities. And no, we don't need to let their words get to us. But when it comes to learning new things, absolutely. You never know at all. Always room for growth. On the one verse I had to repeat, or two verses, 17 and 18, don't envy sinners but always continue to fear the Lord. You will be rewarded for this and your hope will not be disappointed. How easy it is to envy those who get ahead unhampered by responsibility to God's laws. For a time they do seem to prosper without paying any attention to what God wants, but they have no future. To those who follow him, God promises a hope and a wonderful future even if they don't achieve it in this lifetime. And I feel like that is really congruent with what Jesus 
modeled and taught. He really valued the poor, the needy, the widows, the orphans, and told his followers to take care of them. And a lot of his followers were in poverty, didn't achieve greatness by the world's standards. And I think in our current day and age, I either know, know of, know through a friend or family member, or it just, you know, seeing people on television who seem to have it all financially, who end up going through multiple spouses, multiple divorces, broken homes, addiction, suicide, bankruptcy sometimes, like, people with money don't have a lack of problems. Here's an interesting historical tidbit on the whole alcohol section there at the end, which I won't read because it's several verses long. It says, Israel was a wine-producing country. In the Old Testament, wine presses bursting with new wine were considered a sign of blessing. See Proverbs 3.10. Wisdom is even said to have set her table with wine, Proverbs 9, 2 and 5. But the Old Testament writers were alert to the dangers of wine. It dulls the senses, it limits clear judgment, Proverbs 31, 1 through 9. It lowers the capacity for control, Proverbs 4, 17. It destroys a person's efficiency, Proverbs 21, 17. To make wine an end in itself, a means of self-indulgence or an, as an escape from life is to misuse it and invite consequences. And I hope that anyone dealing with consequences of an addiction, I think sometimes the hardest part is for people to realize that they're not the problem, they're the solution. And seeking help is the solution. But no one can seek help for them. That is how they are the solution. The substance or whatever, the addiction part, that is the problem. And that can be fought. It can be treated. It can be healed. A person can recover. And they are the solution. They are the solution to making that happen. And there's whole groups of people and professionals that is all they do is look at that kind of stuff. Having been in that field for a number of years, I got asked the question all the time, do people actually recover from this? <laughs> and I could honestly say, and it always joyed, really warmed my heart to be able to say, a hundred percent genuinely, yes, people recover. And I have seen too many people completely recover from an addiction after basically a lifetime feeling like a slave to an inanimate object to not believe that it is possible for everyone. People who have lived with an addiction longer than I've been alive 
who have still been freed from that. So, yeah, 100% possible. And I really think it's possible for everybody. I think right now the plague of our country is addiction to anger. It's like just festering in our country, it feels like. Addiction to social media, to being right. We're a very addicted country. In the New Testament, we are in First Thessalonians. That's Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica, chapter 4. And he's wrapping it up here. This is only a five-chapter letter or five-chapter book. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a Christian brother in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. For God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands just as we instructed you before. And people who are not Christians will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. And now... Dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know that what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. I'm going to read that little section again. Um, so there's a lot of end of days stuff in the book of Daniel and Revelation, and there's a little bit scattered elsewhere in the Bible. And here's one of those pieces. 
let's see. I'm going to jump back to verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So their belief is when Christ comes back, Christians who have died before will come back at the same time. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. So he believes that those who have already died haven't met him yet. Everybody will meet him at the same time. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. And if I remember correctly, the different passages talking about end of days in the Bible, like the characters in the Bible had different beliefs, theories, opinions, whatever, about what the end of days would be. Um, and that over the years has spurned different uh, groups believing one thing or the other to this day. Me personally, I don't think that much about it. Um, <laughs> at some point there will be an end of days. The one, the one part I do really choose to hold on to is the, the passage that says, you know, one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. It's like when you're meeting him face to face, whether that's on the earth or the cloud, in the clouds, heaven, whatever. When we finally get our chance to meet the creator, we won't doubt that he is the creator, right? <laughs> That's, that is the part that I, uh, that I hold on to. But it is interesting to hear different depictions of what the final days might be like. I'm going to go ahead and read this last chapter. It's very short and that'll close us out in this book. This is chapter five, continuing the end of days theme here. Now, concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night, so be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love. And wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that, whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we could live with him forever. 
So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give, my dog keeps putting her head in the way of my Bible, and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, and be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not strife, uh, do not strifle the Holy Spirit. Stifle can't read apparently do not stifle the holy spirit do not scoff at prophecies but test everything that is said hold on to what is good stay away from every kind of evil now may the god of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our lord jesus christ comes again god will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with Christian love. I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now I'm going to see if there's any good um, commentary on these last two chapters. Here's a comment I like on chapter 4, verse 3. Uh, on the first part for about being holy and throughout a couple different places here he talks about being holy this comment says it is god's will for you to be holy but how can you go about doing that the bible teaches that holiness is not a state of being that you must manufacture on your own with hard work and good deeds and constant fear of failure in other words legalism and a do and don't list that I think some people treat Christianity like a list of do's and don'ts. Instead, being made holy occurs in the process of living the Christian life. If you have accepted Christ's sacrifice on your behalf, then you are considered holy and complete in God's eyes. Yet you must continue to learn and grow during your time on earth. The Holy Spirit works in you, conforming you to the image of Christ. That I really like because it's not about all of a sudden now you need to be perfect and like follow all these rules and whose rules exactly you're going to follow because the Bible sure doesn't cover a whole lot of stuff we have in our society today, you know? So then who decides what you should and shouldn't be doing? That just gets too complicated. No one can live perfect. And there's times where no matter what you do, you're kind of stuck in a lose-lose situation. And you just have to do your your best to try to make a decision that is good on your conscience. You know, <laughs> like that you can sleep at night knowing you did your, your best in a difficult situation. And I think if people are living very legalistically, then they're seeing, oh my God, they're stressing over the right decision instead of looking at the opportunity to learn from the situation to grow in the process to lean on 
you know, to pray about the situation, to look for some guidance. But I like that they use the word grow, right? You must continue to learn and grow during your time on earth. It's not about being perfect. It's about growing and just trying to be a little bit better than you were yesterday. A little bit more like Christ today than yesterday. Or how I like to say it, the world's got enough negativity already. It doesn't need me adding to it. So, although sometimes I do, um, I really try <laughs> to add more positive into the world than the negative. All right, next comment is on verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. The Thessalonians were wondering why many of their fellow believers had died and what would happen to them when Christ returned. Paul wanted the Thessalonians to understand that death is not the end of the story. The great hope for all believers is in the resurrection because Jesus Christ came back to life, so will all believers, including those who've already died. So one thing I'm thinking is, you know, this is literally the beginning of Christianity. There was no, like, we've had theories and, and told stories of what will happen after we die because we've all grown up with this scripture, but they didn't have that. So they're coming from their other religious backgrounds, whatever that is, Judaism or something else. And they're wanting to know, okay, I've left all that behind. I'm following Christ. What does Christ say is going to happen? What can I expect? It's all completely new to them, right? But this thing about people coming back to life, rising from the dead, says uh, verse 16 for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout with the voice of archangel which an archangel side note elsewhere it says an archangel is an angel with a position of authority and leadership and Michael is the only archangel mentioned in the New Testament see Jude 1 9 Daniel 10 13 and 12 1 and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God first the Christians who have died will rise from their graves so, I really believe, like, once our bodies die, we're done with them. They're clay vessels, earthen pots. They just house our spirits while we're here on earth. And so, when I read this, I think, okay, if I was living in this time period, spoke ancient Greek grew up with the background these people grew up with, knew Paul himself and heard him say these things, would I interpret that as people are raised back into their original bodies, right? Because Paul didn't write First Thessalonians in English. <laughs> There's a whole lot of translation stuff that can get lost along the way. And so I wonder if it's, is he saying that or is he saying something else there's their spirit will 
be raised or something else, which is more the direction I lean toward, but I thought that was interesting. But then this comment commentator goes on to say, therefore, we need not despair when loved ones die or world events take a tragic turn. God will turn tragedy to triumph, poverty to riches, pain to glory, and defeat to victory. All believers throughout history will stand reunited in God's very presence, safe and secure, as Paul comforted the Thessalonians with the promise of the resurrection. So we should comfort and reassure each other with this great hope. I read that and I feel like it's a bit of a cop out. <laughs> I'm like, really? That's the best you got on this? You know, and I think because of the tragedy I've seen, thankfully not that much in my own life, relatively speaking, you know, but I mean, we've lost over, I don't know what the count is now, over 700,000 people just in the U.S. and millions globally to this COVID. And when stuff like that happens, if a Christian says, well, God will turn tragedy to triumph. I mean, that's completely empty, meaningless words to me. Or all believers throughout history will stand united in God's very presence. No, in the end, it'll all work out in the end. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, but that's not very hopeful for what's going on right now. I think the message that I feel is more important is in the middle of the tragedy. God is still there in that moment. Right? He doesn't leave people that mysterious feeling of peace or it's all going to be okay when people are having these near-death experiences, that's him. And when tragedy happens to a child, it's not a punishment to the child. For a child to one day be here and to the next be with Christ is not a punishment for them. It's awful for everybody else who's still here. But I think sometimes when we're in the darkest places is when his light does shine the brightest. And when people are feeling as alone as they've ever felt, they're not. Not really alone. That I think is the most important message, not, oh, God will make it right in the end one day, you know, eventually when all of this is over and past and you die of old age someday, then it'll all be, no, like in the immediate, he is, he is there and he is doing things right in that moment. Maybe can't see it. And it's a good thing I'm not God because I would do things a whole lot differently and probably mess a bunch of stuff up, but I think the other side of that is when there is tragedy and suffering, people had better step up. 
we can't just sit back and do nothing. That's, that's a missed opportunity. That's a missed blessing on our part to be the hands of God to help someone who's suffering. And it doesn't matter if we agree with any lifestyle or decisions they made that might have led up to that tragedy. When there's suffering, it's suffering. The last thing they need is to be rejected in their darkest moments. Nobody came to Christ because a Christian rejected them in their darkest moments. I believe that 100%.